Hello and welcome to Music Forward Foundation's Industry Sessions, Conversation in Music. Music Forward is a part of the House of Blues and Live Nation family that inspires ambition and creates momentum to redefine what is possible for young people in the music industry. Check out musicforwardfoundation.org for more information and let's get into the show. I'm excited about this conversation because we're going to go in so many different directions. And this has been such a conversation that we've been having for, for so long internally. And I'm excited that we've brought experts here to talk about it. Michelle, I want to start with you uh, because I know that you've had a stake in this game for a while now. And so I want to start the conversation really talking about where streaming sort of came from and, and what, what was it like when you first joined Pandora versus what's happening in, in streaming today. Yeah, um, I guess I, I guess I'll kind of do like my how I got to where I am right now. And the one thing I really love about music is that it's very personal and unique to everyone. So it's always fun to hear everyone's story about how they got to, you know, their their ultimate passion, like the music part of it. And so at a very young age, I I knew in my heart, I was kind of destined to be in music. I mean, I came from a very musical family. My dad was part of the hippie movement and music scene in San Francisco in the 1960s. And my mom is from Mexico, grew up in LA and comes from a very musical family. Um, so I had that foundation already kind of set in stone. I did classical piano and voice at a young age. I did theater in high school and college. And then the passion for music kind of creeped up and made that kind of part of my degree at the end. Uh, but my first job out of college was working at a record store in Berkeley, California. Um, and just being around music 24 seven, I was constantly listening to new genres, learning from my coworkers, and then Pandora kind of just emerged from that. So at the time, 15 years ago, super new, just startup, very grassroots. Um, one of my coworkers happened to be working at Pandora as a music analyst. And I ended up asking him like, Hey, what is a music analyst? First of all, and then two, what the heck is Pandora besides being a jewelry company. And so he told me all about it. And the more, more I heard him talk, I was like, wow, this is fresh. This is innovative. This is super exciting. And I want to be a part of it. And so I, I thankfully got in pretty easily. Cause I was like, just give me anything and I'll do it. Like I will, I will pick up garbage. I'll do anything just to be in that environment. And so my first job was a CD ripper. So at the time, the only type of music that was supported on Pandora was came directly from a CD. So everything you heard in the beginning came directly from a CD. So you oftentimes hear like, you know, skips and like scratches and all that. That's because it came directly from a CD, which is so crazy uh, before we had direct deals with labels. But that was my job, ripping CDs, uh, maintaining the music library. And then um, from there, we built the curation team. So curation, meaning like, hey, let's put a lot of care and thought into the type of music we want to serve to our listeners. So now we have curator and programmers dedicated to each and every single genre. We have a hip hop curator in Atlanta, our pop curator in New York. We have a Latin music curator both uh, in Oakland and LA. Um, And like me, I I do jazz. Uh, We have a classical curator. We have an African music curator. We have a Caribbean curator. I mean, it goes on. Um, So now I also have the pleasure of helping artists succeed, specifically independent artists, um, by utilizing our free marketing tools and helping them become more successful. And so that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. It's it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's so I like how you shared like your eagerness and your eagerness and your curiosity is what really landed you this role within Pandora. Uh, yeah. when you first started out, I think that's something important to encourage our audience about. Sort of when you're when you're looking for something to to be curious about it and, and go after it. And Sierra, you have uh, an interesting sort of juxtaposed to Michelle. Like you just recently graduated college and and with the internship route and, and landed yourself uh, at Epidemic Sound. So tell us more about sort of that road and how you knew that this was a career that you wanted to be in. Yeah, interesting story. Um, so growing up, I was not allowed to listen to any secular music at all. Um, so I became a little bit of a, re- a rebel. Um, by middle school, I was rushing home to watch TRL, uh, 106 in Park, those types of shows. So video and music became a big deal for me. Uh, I went to high school. I read a book. I decided, oh, I should go be a doctor. My family's in healthcare. Uh, (laughs) So it's just kind of the traditional route that I was supposed to go. I'm also from North Carolina, where these things don't really happen for people in our areas. Um, And then I went to college. 
I took my first semester of chemistry and I did terrible. And I was like, this is not it for me. I'm going to go ahead and do marketing, which is what I wanted to do in the first place. Um, from there, I gained my internship at Spotify. But prior to that, I had no idea that I could get a career um, in music technology or streaming. Actually, when I started college, Apple Music had just come out, um, as well as Uber. So both were very new. But by the time I graduated, streaming had catapulted. Um, and after having all of those internships, I was able to figure out, oh, this is what I want to do. Music technology is the way to go. Technology is not going anywhere. I love streaming. I might as well work in my passion. Fair, fair. fair. I think it's a, it's a journey that all of us have, are currently on or have been on. We're trying to figure out what exactly do I want to do and, and what makes me happy. Landon, I'm curious about sort of your story and how you found out this is the career that you, you wanted to do. Yeah, I'm actually kind of a, a strange mix of the two of them. Uh, my family was not musical at all, like Michelle was talking about. Came from like an all sports family. My dad was a PE teacher, you know. That was the world that I lived in. And then I sort of made some friends that I started discovering music for myself, like when I was 12-ish. And it was sort of became a thing that like I wanted to find my own music. And that really spiraled into then wanting to play my own music. And I asked for a guitar for Christmas when I was like 13 or something. And my parents were like, sure, sure, kid. Yeah, we'll get like, that's something that'll stick. You know, they didn't, they just didn't think it would happen because they had no influence on that. So that really just launched me down the path of, of becoming kind of infatuated with music and, and kind of underground music and not the stuff that you just got served on the radio all the time, which I really appreciated. Um, and then that led me into deciding I wanted to go to college for audio production and music business because I just had such a passion for playing music. I wanted a career that would kind of help facilitate both things and kind of have both sides of the coin. Um, so I went to the University of Colorado, Denver, uh, and I got a degree in music business, basically. And that led me, similar to you, to an internship um, few different opportunities there, but one of them was I got an internship as an audio engineer and a production manager at the Pepsi Center in Denver, which is uh, basically where the Avalanche and Nuggets play. And so I was kind of running sound there as well as helping with the production management. Um, and that really just kind of helped to let me see a really broad spectrum of how that could work from the events side of the world, which I've had a ton of experience in and, you know, travel the country, putting on festivals and events and emceeing and things all the way over to the other side of it being pure sit behind a desk and do the business and kind of the work that is behind artists, which, you know, there's a huge group of things between there and jobs possible. But uh, I really appreciated my path in that I got to really stop in at a bunch of different places and have a very broad uh, perspective on it and really understand the industry from a bunch of different directions. So I've appreciated that. And that's one thing working in the distribution space now not only do you get to see the music uh, business from all sides, working with streaming partners, publishing side, royalty management, uh, and again, the software side where I am, but you also have to be very broad in your genres, which I've felt like I've learned a ton in that, you know, I, I know more about regional Mexican music than I ever thought I would before, you know, it's that kind of thing. And, and we're really expanding into Africa and Asian territories where you just have to learn a lot of cool stuff that you might not have if you stayed in your little echo chamber and then the things you really care about, which is cool. Yeah, th I thank you all so much for sharing these these journeys with us. I feel like it's going to add a lot to today's conversation. Michelle, I want to um, come back to you because I'm, I'm really curious about how with everything that what we saw in this pandemic and the stay-at-home order is that sort of streaming ha had a boost in it, right? Everyone was, everyone, there was a boost for a while. Everyone's on these streaming platforms. And then we saw uh, a decrease because we were realizing that everyone was listening to these different platforms, but in their cars, driving to the different places, right? Um, so it was up and down for a while. Uh, one, I'm curious if Pandora saw, saw that happening on their side. And then also what has been the biggest shift you've seen with the Pandora streaming platform, um, not only just in this pandemic, but just over the years yeah it's it, like you said we were we were kind of monitoring like the nielsen charts and like definitely since shelter in place music listening has been down a little as most listening was done in the car or like in the office and so again there was a huge drop i think in the entire industry and now we're seeing big increases in listening i think the more and more people are just kind of adjusting to the the new normal at least for now um, we certainly are kind of seeing an uptick. And what I've, what I've been noticing as far as trends is that the listening is a lot more like lean back, like passive. 
because, but it also serves like a function. And I think a lot of people are just looking for like an escape and like a distraction. So like they're, they're looking for music for like working, studying, sleeping, relaxing, meditative, whatever. Um, and so we're, we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing just like people start stations and just kind of let them play for hours on end. So while there is less like interaction with, with the station and, and the product, there's just a, there's longer listening. And so I think that, that might, I guess that's kind of speculative. That's kind of how, what I think is happening. It's, it's just, it's a lot more lean back the whole, yeah. the entire experience. Right. And, and Landon, yeah. with, the, with that knowledge that Michelle just shared and someone who is communicating sort of strategies to your, your partners, how does this, how does this information affect the strategy that you are building when, when, when talking to your partners? Yeah, so obviously right now, everything has been flipped on its head as far as what the traditional path to marketing anything you're doing as an artist is. Uh, typically, you know, you relied on touring and traditional album cycles, and you relied on getting yourself out there in physical spaces with people, and that's clearly been kind of demolished for all of 2020. Thank you, 2020. Um, and so it's one of those things that now everybody's trying to figure out a way to still engage with the people that want to be engaging with them and that could potentially engage with them, but aren't really able to in the same way. So we've seen, I'm sure you've all heard of a little thing called TikTok. That's a, a real big one that people are jumping towards, but there's tons of other, of other platforms that we're starting to kind of engage with further and kind of develop more of a business to business relationship with for us to be able to offer support to things like Triller or community or audio Mac, all of, all, there's so many of them at this point, we're trying to find ways to work with them. And we actually, at Ingrams, we have a team that we refer to as the engagement team and their whole role is to really identify those opportunities, form relationships. And, and then we work on those relationships to be able to get them into the products that I, that I offer to labels and artists. So it's, it's been a quick and necessary shift, obviously live streaming. Um, but I think like Michelle said, it's the new normal for now, at least. And people are at least understanding that there are more ways to engage, you know, live shows may never come back the same way they were, or may, you know, in different ways, but at least now there's this new toolkit out there that people have been forced to explore. Um, that is a really interesting opportunity moving forward. Yes. And I, I'm curious because, Sierra, you're working, essentially Epidemic Sounds is, is a music library, as you, as you described it, right? So you're always bringing in new music and trying to share that music with the relationships and partners that you work with. And I know that we've got a lot of artists uh, on the call, and I even saw a Q&A come through <laughs> regarding the but Talk to us about how you build that music library, and, and once you build it, how, how do you go about sharing it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have A&Rs that bring in talent. Uh, they're able to be paid up front as well as get uh, back-end money on streaming. A lot of uh, what Michelle echoed, I would say as well, where there's a lot of lean back, moods and activities. I think that commuting was a big part of listening for all of us, which is why we saw such a big dip in March. Um, but I would say now a lot of artists are coming back. But we're also, like they said, exploring other types of genres. I think a lot of us listen to artists with vocals and now maybe we're listening to more instrumental music than we ever have before. My new button is all the way to the left <laughs> and I was on the right. Uh, yeah. Yes. And so I think where I want to sort of transition this conversation to is talking about what are the artist's needs uh, when it comes to streaming. And Michelle, you talked a little, a lot about curation. And so I want you to elaborate on where are you finding new, new music to curate? And also as you're curating the, the oldies and jazz, how, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, for sure. All right. You can hear me. Uh, <laughs> I thought I had, I had my mute uh, button on too. So, um, uh, a lot of our, uh, Pro, uh, Pandora programmers. I think I think the big skill that a Pandora programmer needs to have is uh, the ability to just kind of have your finger on the pulse, like at all times, finding those information sources, radars that keep us kind of dialed into music news trends. Um, I hate to say it, but being a, a social media addict kind of helps. 
with my job. <laughs> um, but I also look at like billboard charts, social, yeah, like I said, social media, music blogs. Uh, I look at playlists on other streaming services services just to see what they're, they're doing, just to kind of compare. I also rely heavily on feedback too from our listeners. Listeners always write in and say like, hey, how come you don't have this? A lot of the time it might not be licensed. So that, that's kind of sucky, but like, you know, for the most part, we certainly like brought in a lot more music and content thanks to listener feedback. And so um, I think uh, also uh, in addition to working in programming, I also work in the creator tools. So um, a lot of what I do is uh, work with independent artists and major artists, but mostly independent. That's like kind of who I prefer to work with just because uh, I, they can certainly use a lot more help, but I, I teach them about all the creator tools, the free creator tools that Pandora has to offer, like other streaming services too. And we encourage them to make sure they're using all of it. Not we're not we're not so interested in like being better than Spotify or being better than Apple Music. We want artists to succeed. That at least that's my focus. It's helping artists succeed, teaching them and letting them know that there are tools on Pandora at their disposal that'll help them like boost their numbers, get more fans, uh, talk to their fans directly, promote, uh, promote uh, live shows, and then also uh, promote their merchandise too. And I think that's a big part of uh, promotion right now is hustling and making right. sure you have merch to sell because that's really the only way artists can really make income at the moment, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Do you, and, and Sierra or Landon, either of you can ask, uh, answer this question, and Sierra, I'll start with you, but do you feel like the streaming services have made it easier or, or harder for independent artists to get their music out there? I think it's a twofold question. I think that distribution has made making music on platforms easier. Yeah. However, because it's easier now than ever, there's more noise. Um, which is why I think it's important that artists focus on being on the right playlist as opposed to maybe a big playlist. Um, you need to kind of be on that playlist where an early adopter is going to be um, a tastemaker, someone of that sort, someone who's going to go look at your catalog. They're going to be what we call a sticky fan, someone who sticks around. It's not just one stream. It's going to come back to us. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Pandora is still, even though we have a ton of music, we're still very much a, a curated collection, meaning that you have to at least deliver your music through a distributor um, to be on Pandora. Um, and so we're still kind of, we're, we're not listening per se, but we want you to put in that extra step of like, hey, I went through all the trouble of recording my music, finding a distro to put it out there. And then we notice that and we will we'll ensure that your music gets on. Yeah. It gets played. Go ahead, Landon. I was just going to say, I'll, I'll echo what Sierra said, because that's very much something that uh, we focus on and talk about a lot is, while there's 60 million tracks out there or so available on most streaming platforms at this point, and it's very easy generally to get your music onto a streaming platform or all of them, it is really, really hard to be found or, or to break through that noise that she spoke of. And that's that's something that really the world is shifting towards the, the ease of access is there now. And that's great. That's, that's an awesome part of having streaming available, but the ability to have the right people find your music is really, really difficult. And so that's something where utilizing first party data, having artists that are really savvy with how to make first party connections with their fans, as opposed to relying on this is something we say at in groups all the time is playlists are not a marketing plan. And that's what a lot of people, they really, just to like get me on that one big Spotify playlist or something, and they think it's going to make their career. And and for one, that's not going to be successful at any platform. I'm sure Ms. Michelle will say this. You can't just ask to be on a plat on a streaming playlist, and they will put you there, and your life is great. You have to put in some work to prove that you are going to do the things to help get yourself to that next level and and be worth that placement, as well as do all of the other things that it's really, once you get that placement, it's what do you do with that new viewership or listenership? How do you take advantage of that and turn that into people who re-engage with you over time and, and that sticky fan that you spoke of? Yeah, I, I, I love what you just said there, Daniel, right? I think that even, I don't think I was also, I think I might've been under that same impression too, where it's like, if I'm on a playlist, um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I made it, right? I, I'm going to meet all the clubs. Like, this is it. This is what it is for me. Um, I'm, I'm curious too about sort of 
Michelle, you snuck snuck in there. Uh, street licensing, right? And I think we we have several conversations about thinking and licensing and where they come in the process, right? And so is it if you're working with independent artists, which uh, based on sort of my experience, they're at different stages when they're when they're coming to you. At what point do you need the music to be licensed? Do you help them get licensed? And uh, Sierra, I think that you could also add on to this question too. But Michelle, I'm curious to hear from you. Yeah, I'm, I'm in no way an expert, unfortunately, so I don't want to like BS this answer in any way, but we have all the uh, resources on uh, the Pandora help page that help artists who are looking for distribution um, in any way. We have resources that direct you directly to who, and it's usually like DistroKid, or, or CD Baby, of course, but there are so many out there for, for you to choose and so many out there that'll, that'll help you at least get your music delivered to each DSP. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the first step is um, one, finding, get, get, getting your music recorded and then shopping for a distributor. Fair. Uh, Sirius is the same on your end too. I know you're working with, uh, again, a music library. So how, how does Sync and Licensing fall into your role? Yeah, I take a step back and define licensing. I don't think I knew what it was until a few years ago. <laughs> um, licensing is what you pay for to use someone's song. So whatever we hear in a movie, a commercial, um, if it's on YouTube, it can be claimed. So you kind of don't want to use Beyonce's track um, in YouTube. So basically you could be sued or you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to use somebody's track. Um, at Epidemic Sound, we have it where an artist is paid up front for us to have rights to use their music. With that being said, we're then able to use sync licensing to get them on a YouTuber's playlist or P-Valley or HBO. Um, so it's much easier because there's not the roadblock of rights because they've already allowed us to use those rights. That's super cool. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure your inbox is going to be very full after that, after that statement. Uh, Lynn, I want to circle back, uh, Landon, to you because we have a, a chat around your, your comments on first, first party. And I want you to elaborate more on what, what that means uh, in the streaming world and, and for the artist. Oops. Yeah, absolutely. So really what that comes down to is we're in a digital world. There's all kinds of data out there. Every time somebody interacts with you on any platform, whether that be socials, whether that be you know, a streaming service, whether that be email marketing, whether that be a landing page you sent them to from an advertisement, that's all. there's data being collected on all of those. And a lot of people really let the kind of first party, that one-to-one that -one interaction fall by the wayside, as opposed to, you know, it's, it's easy to, after the fact, like, in groups, we have tons of data. When you re release music through us, we'll give you a dashboard later on and you can go back and see, okay, my song was streamed this many times in this territory on these platforms. And that's all great and, and kind of useful kind of anecdotal data, I guess you would say. But as far as being able to further a relationship with a fan or a group of fans and being able to, to kind of engage with them over the long period of time, and, and this is a very businessy term, I'm sorry, but uh, increase your lifetime value uh, of that fan, uh, that's something that is really, really critical and moving to be more and more important because things like GDPR and the CCPA, which are just data protections in Europe and in California, that is the trend. The world is moving towards that more protection for user data. And the more first party data you get, email addresses of your fans, you, you create a contest, you send fans through a, a social post to a contest page and they give you the email. You have now that's a bit of first party data for you. That's the type of stuff where as you build up that, that relationship with a fan, then you're able to then later on say, oh, hey, by the way, we have this t-shirt now and you send them that to Michelle's point. Like, that's a great way to add some value have somebody that becomes more of an advocate for you as an artist, as, as opposed to a very passive, like, oh, it was on in the background while I was working. You know, that's great that you've been inter introduced to that person, but you're not able to really utilize that other than them maybe kind of recognizing the sound of your song later on. Yeah. But first party date is that one-to-one -one interaction. Yeah. Thank, thank you for elaborating on that. M Michelle, you mentioned also the, the, uh, earlier the passive listener. And so how exactly on, you all, on your end are you tracking an active listener and, and a passive listener? Oh, yeah, certainly. So we have, uh, we have fun little tools uh, in the back end. And also with artists who, who engage with, with AMP, with the artist marketing platform, you'll be able to see um, 
how many listeners you have, like lifetime streams. We have access to so much data. We also have access to like skip rates and thumb rates. So a uh, percentage of thumb up versus thumb down. We just have, we have so much feedback to kind of keep track of what's, you know, what, what's, uh, what's kind of gelling well with listeners and what isn't, but I've certainly noticed a lot less engagement with the thumbs lately, yeah. but just a lot more listening time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, my, my heart sunk when you said that you all can track the number, the skips and I'm scared, <laughs> which artists I've been skipping on. Uh, artists, artists skip everything. It's yes. even like the best song in the world. I'm just like, Oh yeah. <laughs> what happened? Why? Well, how are you feeling that yeah. day? Um, <laughs> It's what so I I, I want to transition this conversation to uh, analytics and and revenue because I think also I live in Hollywood so it's turning up over here. Uh, but my my question is sort of how are artists bringing in bringing in revenue by using Pandora or by working with uh, Epidemic Sound? I think you, you shared a little bit about Sierra, but also even landing with you too. I'm curious from the artist perspective where are they generating revenue from by utilizing your services. And Michelle, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because it's like you can't really live off streaming alone. Unfortunately, that's like unless you're like Drake or like a big megastar. Um, and so that's kind of the reality of it. And that's kind of something, you know, I as 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 a as someone who's on the creator services team and engage with artists all the time. It's like, you know, just letting your music play on on the DSPs isn't enough. Like it, it's not enough. You got to put in the work. And so that's like where the tools come in. And so we, we, we encourage artists to like record a voice message because that's what you can do on Pandora. And then with the voice message, you can add like a call to action that, that points fans to like your official website, to your band camp, to a, a link for a live streaming. It's like, it's again, it's like more than just relying on streams. It's really like hustling and like putting in that work. Um, and of course, if you want more spins, like you got it, you got to promote. Like that's the, that's the only way people ask me, like, how can I get more spins? Why am I never so low? I was like, well, are you sharing out your Pandora station? Like, I know a lot of people don't listen to Pandora, but a lot of people do. A lot of people still use Pandora. And so you got to put in the work, like link out, share out your artist station, encourage fans to start a station, encourage them to thumb up your songs. And you'll, you'll, you'll probably see a huge uptick in numbers. But I think a lot of it now is like merch. A lot of it is merch. Like that's, that's why I love Bandcamp so much is because you can, you can put your music up for sale, but you can also like put t-shirts um, and, and other cool stuff. And so you're paying, from what you said earlier, you're paying artists up front for, for all that and to, to place their music. So talk about how you all sort of generate the, those costs and what's the relationship with the artists as you go on to continue to place, place for them. For sure. We scout artists. Um, we also have artists come to us and send their music. And from there, if we've decided this is a great relationship, we should partner um, we pay you for tracks up front prior to producing the music. And then after the music is out there, we're able to give you 50-50 on streaming. So 50% on our end, 50% on your end. And a lot of our artists have been able to live and have a life where they're making money off of their career um, as opposed to having to get a day job because of this model. When you, I think the number one question for you right now is, how do you scout artists? <laughs> and, and I'm an artist in the audience, and I want my whatever it might be to pass your desk. How are you going about scouting artists? Yeah, sc scouting artists comes through a lot of relationships as well as people. We have an email account that music comes through all the time. Um, people DM me on social media, um, and I'm probably could go ahead and say this, but I will be transitioning into an A&R role. So if you are interested, you can send your music my way. Oh, <laughs> it's an exclusive. <laughs> Look, oh, we love it. You heard it here first. Uh, yes, please share what, share your information uh, in our chat or find her or find her on LinkedIn uh, and, and communicate that way. Thank you for that. Lyndon, I am also curious about with all the analytics and data that you are tracking, which ones are artists most sort of attracted to that, that, that that's allowing them to generate revenue? That's an interesting question. I mean, obviously simple streaming numbers is, is, is the key there that, you know, that if you're somebody who's really hyper-focused on streaming, then just increasing or taking a look at your streaming performance and kind of stepping back and analyzing where you could maybe 
uptick your performance or maybe where you're doing really well, but you think you can actually grow that even further. And that's, that's one thing that actually we're pretty focused on. We have a team of, of data science uh, PhDs at our company that the whole purpose of their role is to pick through that type of data and, and, find ways that we can utilize it in an effective way. And uh, so one of the things we're working on right now um, is, is the ability to take a look at all your streaming data across all retailers, which, you know, as a, your distributor will have that. Um, and then look at basically the, we refer to them as geodemographics, like the people and the places where you're streaming really well, and then take a, kind of a look at those and try to understand where else we might be able to grow your streaming. And that's part of like a recommended marketing action we might give to someone of saying, Hey, artists of this genre or from your country that that match this kind of look, they usually do really well here, but you're not yet. Uh, and that's something where we can kind of help target those opportunities. And that's the kind of data that we obviously you can anybody can get a dashboard. You can you know send your music out in the world and, and do some basic streaming numbers and and you know basic information on that. But finding actionable insights is really what we're we're trying to focus on. Uh, and that's then once you have those insights. You go to folks like Michelle or Spotify and you try to work with them to say, hey, we have this information. We believe we can ha have some effect here and there. And you find ways to work with them for marketing tactics. Okay. Um, I want to take some questions from our, from our audience before I hop back into the conversation. Um, Alina asks, is it better to focus on an EP release, a full record, or, or singles when, when releasing their music? Michelle? Yeah, I, I answered that already, but um, I would in definitely encourage, especially if you have singles recorded and you, you really want to start like hyping it up and you're super proud of it, like I would release them. I, I've certainly seen uh, major artists, I mean, major artists certainly do that, but like as, especially if it's your first, first, you know, official release, I would definitely push out singles first. Um, yeah. Just to kind of, you could do as much promotion um, with with just a single, with, with like the amp tools, uh, and get your listeners psyched, like and excited for for new stuff. So it doesn't hurt, and you can probably get some some good spins on it too, ahead of your release. Yeah. Does anyone have? We, yeah, one thing we actually talk about kind of goes back to that all that noise. Like, there's just stuff coming out all the time. So keeping yourself active with uh, streaming partners is very helpful. And like, if you go dormant for two years, like it used to be a common two year album cycle, that's kind of tough to come back from at this point. You're, you're basically starting fresh every time you release something. So keeping a consistent release cycle doesn't have to always be single, 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 like forever. And then the other thing to keep in mind as, as an independent artist is you can really release things however you want. You can, you can release a single, then you can release a three-track EP, then you can release another single, and then you can re release a full album with all of those tracks you just released on it as well. You know, it doesn't have to be exclusive to one release where you can repackage things in the streaming world really easily. When you're not creating physical product, it's really cheap to just say, okay, this is my new release and kind of utilize things or get a remixed version of something and put it on. Like, there's a lot of ways you can bring it up. Just be creative. Yeah, fair, fair. The uh, another question we got from I'm curious to see how we how we I think collectively answer this, but uh, can payola become uh, become legal for upcoming artists whom a record label or streaming service might deem important to the culture? Are you all familiar with payola? You're familiar, Sierra. I I would I would be scared to call uh, things that resemble payola. You could potentially look at. I would be scared to say that payola would be legalized. Can you sh can you share with our audience? Because I had to Google it in the, in before I asked the question. But share with our audience what payola is and and how it affects people. Payola was basically born from the practice of paying radio stations or radio DJs to put your music on the radio. That that was like the origins, and it evolved in a bunch of different ways. But that was really where it grew from. Is hey, I'm going to pay to get placed where people are going to hear me, um, and there are adjacent things happening these days where large independent playlisters do a lot of things like this now where you know the, the actual traditional platforms Pandora, for example wouldn't do that they're not going to accept money to put a track on that they wouldn't do that but there are third-party playlisters who basically say okay you can pay to submit music to me which is pretty questionable in my opinion and also you can pay when you get a placement and that's basically a form of payola but it's it's more taking advantage of the artists than anything at this point they're just raking in money for submissions so i would i would tend to say stay away from those folks for the most part unless you have a good relationship with them 
Yeah, and we would never ask ask for any type of money to be placed on a, a playlist. So, yeah. and we, we've actually, there have been some phishing emails that have been going around saying like, hey, do you want to be placed on the sauce, which is one of our biggest uh, playlists on Pandora, uh, but you got to pay. And so they were asking for credit card information. It was a total phishing email. So we were like, no, we would never do that. <laughs> we would never do that. Uh, Sierra, did you have something to add to this conversation? To this question? I think Landon and Michelle have said it perfectly. Good. Good, good. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Michelle, um, and I think that, Lady, you can also answer this too, is with Pandora, from what you're saying now, being sort of an, art, an artist-serving platform uh, and really serving the listeners and the artists, where does Pandora sort of bring in their biggest bulk of revenue as a platform? Like, we talk about sort of how the artists get paid, but how does the actual platform itself sustain I mean, it's, it's all ads now. It's, yes. it's advertising. I mean, advertising is our biggest form of income. And also, well, the fact that we also got acquired by SiriusXM a year ago too. So we were, we were kind of in uh, underwater, uh, losing money. And so Sirius swept in and, and saved, saved us. And so we, we have thankfully a lot, of, a lot of financial support right now, but yeah, revenue is 100% ads and also subscription services too. We also offer a $9.99 a month uh, premium uh, service and then I think a two ninety nine. Oh, I gotta, I gotta reeducate myself on the different tiers of s- subscriptions on Pandora. <laughs> but <laughs> I believe there's three. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So our our relationship as a distributor with all of the um, streaming platforms is basically most of them make their money off of uh, subscription revenue. And then usually advertising is, is a part of that revenue, but it's a smaller part versus Pandora leans more towards the advertising than most of the other ones do uh, just by nature of what the platform is. Um, but yeah, it, it's mostly the money you pay to any of the, of the retailers to have your monthly subscription that then gets doled out to the distribution companies, which then get doled out to the artists and, and labels uh, downstream from that. So there's a whole hierarchy of people that take chunks out of that money as you go downward, which is why some people opt to be very, very independent, as in no label, limited distribution, or or very specifically like minor distribution deals where they don't get much service. Um, but that's that's a risk. You need to have a lot of clout yourself to be able to get yourself out there, have the relationships with DSPs, and also be able to market yourself um, out into the world. Because if you don't have that, you really need the support from a label and, and distribution partner. Cool. Is there another question we got from the audience uh, from Joshua? Do you have advice on finding your true supporting audience online during COVID? I can jump in. Uh, and that's something that I would say is really, really unique to who you are, where you're from, what your audience size is now, because you have to leverage really to find fans. You kind of need to leverage your current fan base and understand what that looks like. Maybe, maybe you have a really good idea of the type of people that would like your music, or maybe you're just starting out and you don't really know. I would say if you're just starting out, really what you're looking at doing is just trying to find ways to introduce yourself to as many new people as possible, which maybe if you have a little bit of money to, to run advertisements that are really specific to certain groups of people that you think are the right folks, uh, or maybe that's something just really hustling like Michelle was talking about earlier and just trying to find ways to get yourself out there and, and partnering with maybe artists that are slightly larger than you, getting featured on things. That's a big part of it. Um, but really, when you're just starting out, it's all about having people know who you are at all. Like that's step one. It's, I don't know if people are familiar with traditional marketing funnels. It's again, business talk, very boring. But uh, typically when you're trying to sell somebody shoes, when you're trying to sell somebody jackets, when you're trying to get them to stream your music, it all comes from, you got to dump them in the top of the marketing funnel, which means making them aware of who you are, know you at all, whether that be on a playlist or advertising or anything in that regard, radio. Um, And then you start to develop that relationship with them to turn them into a fan where after they're aware of you, then they become somebody that actually is interested in you and you kind of pique that interest further until they become somebody that continually streams or buys music or whatever it may be. But it's just a really unique to you situation. Yeah. And I, I would also, yeah, especially what, what Landon said. Um, but I would also especially encourage you to attend conferences, uh, virtual conferences, at least for now, because, uh, I, I was at, uh, 
the CD Baby Conference in person last year. And what I remember and re recall from that is artists were connecting like crazy. And from that, you know, collaborations happen. It's really cool to witness that in person. That was super exciting. But I was like, wow, this is actually, if I was like a, if I was an aspiring musician just starting out, like I got to do this. I got to get out there and just like meet people, get to know people who are kind of in the same boat as me. Um, and so a lot of these are still happening virtually, thank God. Um, so, and I'm working with CD Baby. Um, they're doing a, a virtual uh, conference this year as well. Um, other Mondo's doing one. Just, yeah, get out there. Just attend these conferences and ask questions. And uh, yeah, just put yourself out there. And you never know who uh, you might connect with. So I want to ask you a follow-up to that. Because uh, attending conferences, I'm always, uh, I'm always curious for artists, like for myself, I attend a conference, I give a business card, like I sort of know what's gonna happen, right? Here's a business card, email me, this is how we're gonna continue this conversation. For an artist, right, back in the day, it's like, hey, listen to my music, here's my physical album that I'm, that I'm handing you, right? Or whatever, EP or whatever it might be. If I'm sort of sharing with you, hey, listen to me, what, is there something I'm, how does that networking look today? Is it, here's my phone, put yeah. it up on Spotify, am I watching you, add it to a playlist? Like, how does that connection happen uh, for, for this conversation we're talking about? I mean, I think especially now, um, it happens kind of organically. Like, I, I think because I, I, I do a lot of virtual sessions, my team hosts webinars once a month that are intro to AMP. So they kind of step, you know, do step-by-step. Uh, of the AMP tools with with people who are in, with artists who are interested. And so from there, I've certainly made connections and discovered, hey, there's some like great jazz artists on here. I'm going to go listen to their music. Oh, and wow, they're good. So I want to I want to help them as much as I can and I'll put them on playlists. So I think it's more as like, th that's the one thing I loved about attending conferences is that was a great way for me to discover kind of new talent. Yeah. And if it, if they weren't under my genre, like I would probably pass them on to a programmer being like, hey, like I met this person and they're, they're really hustling um, and they they're, they sound great, like give them a listen. I mean, you know, that's the worst thing that could happen is that, you know, they, they don't have a place for them. But at the very least, I'm kind of keeping an open mind um, whenever I, I meet up with artists. It's, it's my favorite part of my job. Like yeah. I, I really love connecting with artists face-to-face. -face. Cool. Um, we got a, a chat. Megan asked, can you include uh, some of the names of those virtual conferences in, in our chat for our audience today? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah perfect. Uh, another question that we got was from um, Joan, who you all recommended earlier getting our songs onto the smaller list. Um, so they're saying they're having a hard time finding contacts for those people. What are, what are the tips to finding out the direct person who's curated, curating those playlists? And Sierra and Landon, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you all. I will say that I don't think that um, editors or curators will be able to give their emails directly. Um, I will say that you should try to do your best to find a distributor or um, a label if you're in an independent label to get them to get the contacts for you. Um, most artists don't pitch directly to editors. And also growth hack. I would look into growth hacking, whether it be on SoundCloud or AudioMac, anything that's very community-based where there are other creators, where maybe you could get a repost for a repost um, or a popular song where you're commenting and spamming, like listen to my song. That does still work. Yeah, most, uh, most platforms at this point have a some submission process that they make you follow. Like, so for us, just speaking as a distribution company that has good relationships with all of the, the major retailers, even us, we still submit our, at the baseline through their submission tools for Spotify, for example, through the submission tools. And then we have account managers that will then work directly with their team after the fact to help facilitate. But the pitching still happens just through kind of an automated tool because they just need to know very specific information about a release to even have it pass the first threshold. Um, so a lot of times they will have a public version of that where you could pitch, but it's not going to, you're not going to be talking directly to it. Right. Never let that happen. Um, like they even keep that tight between like the account manager at like a, if you're a record label owner and you have a really good relationship with them, you, you have kind of an in there, but that's outside of the normal ecosystem. But for the most part, it's like a tight relationship between a few people and the editor, uh, for a certain playlist or genre, um, Michelle, you could probably speak to this very, very well. 
Yeah, this is this is the the most frequently asked question I get uh, every webinar I do, and is it does Pandora have like a, a pitching to programmers for playlists form? And we don't at the moment, unfortunately. Um, we are working on a formal submission process for Pandora's editorial team. I know we all want it. Like, I think it, it would help us tremendously. Um, I mean, we, we, we do watch our data very closely and stay plugged in with the industry as a whole. But like, you know, it's hard because there's so many great independent artists out there that are waiting to be discovered. And it's, it's a goldmine. And so like having at least a, a form, <laughs> a way to submit and kind of just, you know, promote your stuff in this form to send to the respective programmer, I think will help tremendously. And so I think that is like number one on, on the roadmap right now. I mean, coming from all ends, not just artists, but also from, from programmers as well. Is there, is there more, I know that we've been speaking about sort of data and analytics throughout this conversation. Uh, and I know it's, it's more than just, is there more than just the music that you're sharing with this curator or with this platform? Are there other things that you are looking at for artists besides, is this song good? And does it, will it fit well with this, with this placement? Are there certain analytics that you want to be sent along to, to, to you all? Yeah, I mean, at least having, having, I guess, if, if you're, let's say, like, you were featured or written up on a blog, mm -hmm. or so, someone plugged you or promoted you, or you were on, uh, like, a Spotify playlist or something, or an Apple playlist, yeah, we would want to know all that. I think mm -hmm. that would certainly leverage uh, your chances of being added. But also, like, yeah, I think putting in the work, like, you know, having, having, having places you can go to listen to your music, first and foremost, social media pages, yeah, just stuff with more context mm -hmm. than just like here here's my music <laughs> cool thank you thank you for sharing that landed something yeah yeah i was just gonna say that at the end of the day i think one of the most critical things uh about this and we have discussions with even highly professional been in the industry a long time artists is to actually have a marketing plan and that is to formalize like sit back form a strategy about like what you want to accomplish, how you want to do it, where you're going to focus your efforts and time, and then, and then put that into a formalized document because that is absolutely used by editors and, and when you're pitching to folks. And if they see that you don't really have a plan, feel like, oh, we're going to make some social posts, like they're not going to take you as seriously as they would if, it, if you show that you put in the effort and the time to, to strategize uh, how you're going to be rolling out this track or this release. And at that point, they understand that you're going to be supporting them as a platform as well as being supported by the platform. Because most of the time, artists and labels, they just want to kind of take, 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 take from the, yeah. from the platforms. And at the end of the day, it has to be a bit of a symbiotic relationship. Um, they, they want their users to have a really good experience and they want that to be with the right artists. And it's just got to go both ways. Right. Thank you for sharing that. Our, la our last question I'll take for today, uh, and Sierra, I'll ask this to you directly, is do you have any advice for someone who is in the process of finding opportunities, uh, such as A&R, when you have a background in music and talent? So it's someone who's trying to transition over to, to the A&R space as an artist. Um, well, when I was doing my job search, I actually had an Excel spreadsheet of every company I was interested in applying for, as well as maybe uh, the title, the URL, and if they had a deadline, that'd be great. Um, Music Business Worldwide is really good with posting jobs. They have quite a few A&R jobs I think I've seen posted as well as LinkedIn. But I also say reach out to people. A lot of when I was job hunting was reaching out and cold calling or emailing people. Um, sometimes you can find your own opportunities and make your own role or position. Yeah, so, totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, be your biggest like advocate. Like, don't don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Like that's how that's how I got into Pandora was my yeah. was my enthusiasm and my motivation. And people yeah. remember you. I think for A and R in particular too, it's just doing it. It's yeah. fine way. Like, make your own playlist. Start your own playlist brand. Like, do do things that make it seem like you care and are passionate about a specific genre or whatever, whatever you do care about and just work on it and just do it. And like, as when you go into an interview, you know how many people that have come into interview for our company that they have something really cool. Like we have uh, a couple folks that started really, really big rap um, blogs back in the day. And now at this point they were hired on because of the work they did on those rap blogs. They were like, Oh, you know, your stuff, like right. you do this. So we're bringing you on. Like that was very clearly why. 
Awesome. Um, so just so the audience knows, I just launched a poll, so I'm excited to see how what you all come back with. But what streaming platform do you utilize the most? We're curious to hear from you. Uh, I want to close out this session today. This has been so amazing. I've, I have never had to Google so many things in one session. So I'm very, and that makes me very happy. Can you apologize for that? No, no, no. no. Sorry. It's, it's a good thing. It makes, me, it, makes, it, makes, it makes it me smarter, which makes my boss happier. Um, my last question, I'm curious to, to know sort of where streaming, um, how it's grown and where it's been and where it's going, but how do you all see your role shifting in the, in the next five years, given where the music industry is now and where we're hoping for it to go? And Michelle, we'll start with you. Yeah, it's, it's actually strange to think about what things will look like in general in a few years, just because I don't even know what I'm doing for Thanksgiving yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I certainly, I certainly hope that my hope is that venues, especially will be reopened and artists will be able to play shows and tour again because I mean that's the one thing I missed most is going to a live show and and supporting an artist that way um, but regardless of what the state of our country looks like I, I will continue to be focused on helping artists succeed on Pandora and other streaming platforms having something ready in their toolkit to go out and just like shine so having the opportunity be in person or remotely to show artists how to use the free marketing tools to strengthen that bond with their fans, reach new fans, strategically get their music in front of listeners who will dig it and ultimately set them up for success. So I'm, I'm basically want to continue doing what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Lainey, what do you have for us? Where do you see your role within, the, within any groups in the next couple of years? I, I think that we're on a path where music and technology are continuing to collide, uh, and it's, it's only going to grow. I hope that doesn't mean that technology tears the soul out of music in any way, shape, or form. Like, I don't want that to be the case, but at the end of the day, the getting music to people and even creation of music is just becoming extremely critical that you know what you're doing in the digital world. And I think what I'm hoping to do with my role in it in groups is to, like, help dictate what that future looks like to make it look the way that we want it to look, you know, in a, in a positive way and not let things kind of spiral out of control or turn into something that is, you know, artists don't have any say in what happens. It's all about other people and their gatekeepers. We don't want that. So yeah. I think that's a big part of what I see. Cool. And Sierra, close us out. Where do you see your role transitioning to in the next couple of years? Echoing Landon, I think music and technology will continue to collide. We've seen live streaming get really big, especially with Twitch, um, as well as VR and AR. A lot of DSPs, those are the streaming services, um, are starting to do virtual concerts. So I think we will see more live streaming on those digital services. Um, in terms of my role, I've recently gotten a promotion, so I will be in A&R very, very soon. Typically, though, the transition would be to be a manager in my role. So traveling to the DSP offices, mm -hmm. um, we're of a strategic decision-making process. But I continue to see it grow wherever independent artists are. Well, thank you all so much for being here today. This has been a really good session. We've had great engagement. So give yourselves a round of applause for sharing this information um, and educating the future leaders of the music industry. Panelists, I will see you all soon. Audience, I will see you all next week. And this has been a pleasure. Thank you.